Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them podcast. This is your friend and host, Priscilla, mm -hmm. and I'm here with Trey Delicious. Ooh, AKA very nice. Trey. Hi. <laughs> very delicious. for that. Do you like it? I really like it. Thank you. I'm very delicious, especially at this hour of the morning. <laughs> uh, so we are here in our fourth episode, Trey? Yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Oh my God. We are here in our fourth episode and we had a lot of, uh, well, I'm going to say the truth. We had a lot of technical problems the other day, so we decided to record in the morning. So please guys don't judge us. We are drinking in the morning, but if we think about it, it's a Sunday, so we can kind of call it as a Sunday brunch. Can we? Yes, we can. A liquid brunch. Exactly. It is our liquid brunch. And with me, it's my cocktail that I'm going to talk about in a second. And also I have my coffee. But Trey, why don't you tell us how does how does the podcast work? We are two fantastic women yes. coming to your lovely ears. Every episode we talk about another two fantastic women. Priscilla will bring her woman. I will bring my woman. We shall drink cocktails. And we don't know who the other person's woman is. So I'm very excited. I get excited every week. And the cocktails also add to the excitement because each week somebody picks a cocktail. The other person doesn't know why, but that would be thematically related to their woman. So Priscilla picked this week's cocktail. Yes. So I'm very excited to find it. I am. I am so excited as well. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Trey. I think every episode I, get, I really get excited. Um, I, I get really excited because the whole point of this is like not knowing who are we going to talk about. So uh, obviously the cocktail is related to my woman. And I be when I was given the instructions to Trey about this cocktail, I asked her, uh, was it yesterday, I think, I asked you, could you please uh, make sure that you serve this cocktail on a tall glass? The tallest glass you could find. Unfortunately, <laughs> mine, it wasn't as tall. Well, it is a cocktail glass, as you can see from the screen. Can you? Yes, I can. I, yeah, I'm just uh, showing on the screen my glass. Trey did hers. So, yeah, the, the reason why this is an Ango Soda. So it is called Ango Soda because it is made out of Perrier sparkling water and Angostura bitters and a dash of lime. Mm. And uh, in mine, when I try it and test it yesterday, I put a bit of uh, sugar syrup, uh, simple, uh, simple syrup. And now that finally we can make it. <laughs> oh my god uh three episodes um behind we couldn't but anyway um so i did it with sugar this time i didn't and i think it's really refreshing and it's a really good I, i will say it's a really good drink for the summer wouldn't you agree i find it very refreshing yeah it is very refreshing it's a bit bitter hence the angostura bitters but anyway um no more segues the reason why i brought this cocktail to the table is because this was one of one of the favorite cocktails of Julia Child. Mm. You know who Julia Child is? Uh, please tell me more about her. No, 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 it's fine. Not a lot of people uh, know about Julia Child. Maybe she's more famous in the States where she's from, but she was the first uh, celebrity chef. But if you, maybe if you recall the movie, Julia, Julia and Julia, exactly. Yeah. The Amazing Male Strip play uh, Julia Child. Um, she, I yeah, I know, uh, who doesn't like, I want to know someone 
and meet in the face and say, and you know, maybe Donald Trump, I think he hates Meryl Streep, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that thing. But anyway, um, yes, I want to talk about Julia Child because um, I think she's definitely comes in the category as a fantastic woman. And definitely I'm going to talk a little bit about her career as a French chef, as you know, the books she wrote, the TV shows she was, but not a lot. Not a lot of people know that she was a uh, FBI agent, or back in World War II, she was an OSS agent, mm-hmm. and not a lot of people know that. And I was really impressed because when I wanted to talk about her, I wanted to talk about her because uh, I must say that I knew faintly about her because there were some very in the 80s or late 80s there were sketches from Saturday Night Live that they will you know make fun of her uh, because of the way that she will cook the way that she will talk like she has a certain way of talking and she says mm-hmm. bon appetit, all the time um, but anyway um, she was she looked like a very funny lady a very interesting lady and then the movie julie and julie came along and i love that film you know i love cooking you know i love my baking and anything that is related to food but um you know one of those movies that actually show you what they're cooking and they're eating and they're enjoying it and i was like yes i want to talk about her but i want to do more research and that's when i found out that oh my fucking god she was actually uh, an agent she was working in world war ii and guess what she did trey she was one of the developers of the shark repellents used in world war ii by the american government ah come on <laughs> It is true. Like <laughs> this, is, this is the reason I'm so glad we are doing this uh, podcast because the more that you research, and I'm I'm sure it's the same with your women's, with your women. The the more you research about this woman, thinking, oh, this was a great, I don't know, say artist, or this was a great, in this case, chef. But when you start digging and when you start finding more about her, she was more so much more than that. And that's what I liked. Uh, what I found out about Julia Child. Uh, well, Julia Child. Child is her. Her married name. Um, her maiden name was Julia McWilliams. That's how she was enlisted by the U.S. government. She was born in Pasadena, California on August 15, 1912. Um, she basically arrived at Smith College in 1930. I'm not going to talk a lot, a lot about her ba- background, but just, uh, you know, that she was very participate throughout her college career. She was a member of a student council, played basketball. And that's another thing I was going to say. She was six foot tall. Ah, she the was tall six. Drink. Yeah, she was six ah. foot tall, and she was a very tall lady, very impressive lady. Even if you see, you can see on YouTube uh, her sketches from the French Chef, or when she was doing an interview back in the day, and even when she was in her nineties or late eighties, she was still very tall. Like it, it's, mm. it, it's amazing how. Like, not about the, the body, but the presence she had when she was talking. It, it's just fantastic. Um, but anyway, she played basketball. She worked for the Dramatics Association and even experienced her first culinary moments when she was at Smith College. And she was uh, apparently the chair of refreshment committee for the senior prom and fall dance. It sounds, yeah, it sounds very, like, small. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say small, actually. But, I mean, after you know what she did. But anyway... Then she graduated college in 1934. She wrote advertising for a furniture company in New York. But then soon after, uh, World War II came and 
when the U.S. Army uh, started to enlist people, she wanted to join in. Uh, but the thing is, going back to her height, because she was six foot tall, she couldn't enlist. So she couldn't join the military because she, because of her height. But still, she was able to volunteer her services for the Office of Strategic Services, or like I said, the OSS, which was the forerunner for what is actually, oh, sorry, not the FBI, my mistake. It was actually for the forerunner for today's Central Intelligence Agents, which is the CIA. And she was one of those 4,500 women working, well, serving in there. So the other thing that I was really impressed, Trey, is that if you actually go to the CIA official website, from the U.S. government, because this what this happened in World War II. All those um, say uh, top secret file uh, or with sensitive information, they are all released now. They are open. So actually, if you Google uh, Julia Child and if you go to the CIA website and if you go by her, I think her surname Mac Williams, you can mm -hmm. download the entire, all the documents, well, at least as much as they want to show you, but you can see everything. You can see where she was posted, where she, uh, how much she, she was uh, receiving for, you know, money, uh, where she was living, where she was moving from one place to another. It, it, it's, it's incredible that you can see uh, her trajectory in, you know, in World War II. And that's what I was reading about that when she, while she was in the OAS, she was working for the, one of the, um, sorry, I lost the train of thought for a second. I was just reading basically what she did uh, when she developed the shark repellent. The reason it, it's so, I don't know. I don't know when when I hear shark repellent, it's like, what the fuck is that? Priscilla, that can't be real. Like, it I is. mean, it is. I, I Google it. No, but like, it just reminds me of that Batman episode, Adam West one, and he's like, quick, Robin, use the shark repellent bat spray. <laughs> and like, I laughed so hard because obviously that doesn't exist. What are you talking like? I don't. It, it does. Apparently, this is what I wanted to read. I'm just going to read a bit of this document from the CIA um, they, because they kind of have a biography from, from Julia Child. No, I'm really serious. <laughs> um, serious. So when she was in the OSS, uh, Julia worked with the OSS Emergency Sea Rescue Equipment Section where she helped develop the shark repellent. Um, I'm just reading just this little paragraph of what was in the CIA website that says the repellent was a critical tour during tool during World War II and was coated on explosives that were targeting German U-boats. Before the introduction of the shark repellents, curious sharks will sometimes set off the explosives when they bump into them. So, but not only that, that was one of the main reasons why they coated their explosives in shark repellents so the, the, the sharks wouldn't go near her, near them. And the other thing was that when they were seamen at <laughs> yeah, I know. When there were seamen at sea, when there were people, you know, jumping from when divers or any, you know, that they needed to be in a body of water, what that was infestated with sharks. Um, a lot of people, a lot of them were attacked, and that was also the reason why they wanted to develop that, just to, you know, train them to use that in order not to get attacked by sharks. It's crazy, but even like I said, even if you Google, there's a lot of propaganda, a lot of cartoons, because then that information was released to the public, and I think the New York Times and other newspapers were. Um, you know, putting cartoons about <laughs> shark balloons and like divers with like a spray or something. It's 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 funny, but it's true. And um, like I said, after this, the Navy did a 
did end up using the shark uh, repellent based on the original OSS recipe, which Julia Child uh, developed. Well, she was one of the developers, and they also call it the shark chaser. Oh. Yeah. Um, even in an interview that uh, Julia Child did with... Um, I wanted to fact check her last name, but anyway, on an interview that Julia Child did with a, a reporter, she was saying that it was there was room, rumors that the shark repellent was even used to not, for NASA NASA equipment, because when you know when they landed at the sea, when the astronauts landed at the sea, uh, also again in infestated shark waters, yeah. they they could use the shark repellent. Anyway, sorry, I maybe I'm talking a too much about shark repellents, but I thought it was just. The idea was just fantastic. No, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm drinking cocktails. And we're talking about <laughs> shark repellent. I don't even I think know. we need to go on with this podcast. Yeah, You're right. welcome, Goodbye. everyone. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a great day. No, but but anyway, that was one of the one. That's one of her the accomplish uh, accomplishments she did. Uh, so after that, after <laughs> developing the shark repellent, repellent. Sorry, I love saying that <laughs> that word. But after that, from 1944 to 1945, she, Julia was sent overseas, and that's where she worked in Ceylon, which present day Sri Lanka, and then she was working in China. And in actually in these last two uh, years, uh, she she served as the chief of the OSS registry, and she actually had top security clearances. Um, so basically, what happened is that she um, knew every incoming and a going message that passed throughout her office um, and at that time that um, registry was serving all the intelligence branches so she actually was someone important even at that time uh, it, it's just as an official I like, you're obsessed with World War II spies I know. You have a problem. We're going to have to have an intervention. I know. I'm sorry. But but there's a happy ending. Then she became a chef. (laughs) (laughs) And you're also obsessed with food. I know. I know. This is my jam. No, but um, so basically, so after that, what happened is that during uh, that time, have you seen the movie? I actually haven't. No, when you said Julia originally, I was like, oh, that's like the only Julia that triggered in my mind was yeah. Julia and I've seen the film yes. out there and I know who's in it and I know the premise of it but I actually haven't seen the film watch it it's a very glamorized Hollywood however uh what, now that I did the research and see everything it's really you can tell that it's obviously based on uh, on you know, based on true facts. And it's really good. I definitely recommend people to watch it. I was just going to mention that because in the in the movie, you see, um, um, they, they do mention, like without any spoiler alert, they do mention how they met and they talk a little bit about World War II and then they move on to what everybody wants to know about her cooking. But anyway, in her last two years working in the OSS, that's where she met Paul Child, which he ended up being her husband. So um, that's from there, he became a diplomat. And then they, uh, the two married in September 1946. And from there, she finally, uh, he was assigned as a U.S. information, um, uh, he was assigned to the U.S. um, information agency in France. So they moved to Paris after post-World War II in 1948. And like like I mentioned before, if you see the movie, uh, when they it start at the beginning of they arriving to Paris, she you know just in love about the city and the food, and that's basically uh, what the what from what I have you know researched. And there's um 
there's an interview and actually you can even listen to Julia Child in this interview. It's from NPR, but this was originally uh, broadcasted by Fresh Air, if I'm not mistaken. This interview is from, um, I think, November 14, 1989. And you can hear Julia Child, you know, reminiscent about the food of, of France and how she she felt awake when she tasted everything when like she could clearly remember the the wine that she was drinking her first meal in in, in France when she arrived and it's just it's just really magical the way that this woman talk and narrate the story and that's basically how it starts the movie and even in this interview and what I have read so far, how she started, how Paul will go to work and she will be, you know, bored because like she had nothing to do. She she just felt that she wanted to do something. And from what I've seen in this is that she is someone of a really curious, she was someone of a really curious nature. And that's when she started to, to go to cooking school, which was a really famously acclaimed uh, culinary school called Le Cordon Bleu. And that's where she became very interested and she started to, basically that's where she started her career as many, uh, well, as hope, as I hope many know. So she started in the Cordon Bleu, but after that she actually became the teacher because there were other middle-aged women back in Paris um, that wanted to cook as well. And she uh, formed this school with other two um, women who I'm gonna mention really soon. Um, that it's actually Simone Beck and Louisette Bertol, because these three women had this culinary school. And then later on, guess what they did? They uh, wrote the book that is very, very famous worldwide, worldwide maybe mostly in America, this called Mastering the Art of French Cooking. I don't know if you have mm -hmm. ever seen that book. I have even seen it in Eason's. Eason's is a, it's a bookshop in and here in Ireland, but I had definitely seen it in Easton's. I have definitely seen it in other bookshops in here, uh, in the in 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 the cooking section. So this book was written back in 1961. It has 524 recipes in 726 pages. So it's a very comprehensive book. But um, basically, that's this is based this book. Uh, even though you know she had this cooking school with these three women, uh, this book is basically what launched her career in America, like the launched mm -hmm. her career as a French chef, and you know the television show she had, which by the way, the the French chef is actually the the most famous uh, one of them. I believe she had like eight television shows, but um, that you know the French chef won. Uh, Emmy Award winning, Peabody winning, uh, uh, you know, winning award. Yeah. And it's just just amazing The what I was reading so far. I know maybe I'm going a bit fast, but um, it's just from what I from what I seen, from what I read, she definitely uh, she was definitely someone. She she started as a, you know, as a CIA. Well, now what is CIA agent from there? She moved into France. Uh, she started this. She she started in the Le Cordon Bleu. Then she had this uh, culinary school, and then with these three women, she decided to uh, write this book. Which, by the way, it wasn't easy at all. It took years in the making. And when she they when she finally moved back to the states, she still wanted to write this book. But a lot of um, back in that time, like I say, uh, post World War II in the 60s. Um, 
uh, the publishers that she was trying to reach, they weren't interested because they were saying, well, your book is too, it's too, um, it's too much. It's, it has a lot of information. It's very difficult. People like what, what was, what, what was believed in the sixties and what she was saying in that NPR interviews, like what they were trying, the publishers were trying to say to her, you cannot do this because Americans, because as, as I say, this was first released in America. She was saying, um, Americans don't want something difficult. They want something yeah. fast and, and, you know, fast and go, that's it. And she was like, no, I don't want to do that. She, she and her other partners were saying, well, that's not the book we want to do because books before her, they were all, uh, they were very chatty and they were very misleading. That, that's actually what they were saying in there. Like there were books that they weren't giving you the precise directions. You, you couldn't cook that way. And she was saying like, if I'm really going to write books, write this book about my passion, I really want them to know how exactly you can cook bourguignon and other dishes that were in the recipe. Like, um, sorry, I was trying to remember one of the dishes, but bourguignon is the other, is the only one <laughs> I can remember. Moment. Um, uh, but, uh, that's basically what, what, what she was uh, saying. Like, no, I want to do it. I want to do exactly how it should be, and they didn't want to sell it. But then well, she that, found well, a like publisher. When you think about when you think about any, like I never really thought about it before, but any cooking books that I look at now, like they are most definitely not seven million pages long. Like it's, I didn't really think of that before, but they are very quick. There's yeah. big pictures. There's one page of a recipe, and then you move on. Like exactly. they are very very quick reads and very like that's a big cooking book now that yeah. I think. Of no, and not only that, the, like I said, this, the first, because there's two volumes of this type of this book. The first book was, yeah, 726 pages, 524 recipes. I have, I have seen the book physically and I wish I, now I want it, but yeah. I have seen that book and it's all text. I think unless they have been revisions of the editions now with the days, um, I think back in the eighties, they wanted, they obviously because uh, technology and everything. Now there was the stand up mixer. Now there was uh, other things that you could use. Yeah, so true. that book has been amended, which is fine, but it still remained as a really comprehensive book throughout, throughout French cooking. Um, but um, the thing about this book as well was that it was a very expensive book. Back mm. in the day, it was $10. And even with uh, $10 in today's money, uh, it's actually $82. So it, it's more or less like 79 quid, I will say. Seven, well, 78, 79 quid, which is wow. still a lot of money for a cooking That's book. Steep. Like. Like if you if you go to the if you grab a bookshelf right now, even if you grab Mary Berry's uh, cookbooks, I think they're not they're less than 20, 20 quid, twenty quid, yeah. twenty twenty. The it, more it, illustrated ones might be fifteen, twenty, but exactly. they're a tenner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this book was what is now eighty two dollars, and they were able to sell a hundred thousand copies, which, as I said back in the sixties, that was a lot. That was a lot. And actually, just to just as a curious fact, to this day, um, that book, Critical Re Perception of Mastering of the Art of French Cooking, has generally remained positive. Um, in 2015, the Daily Telegraph ranked it as the second greatest cookbook of all time. Wow. So even in 2015, which was five days, uh, five days, five years ago, uh, it's just it's just insane. I, I, I really happy I picked this woman and I definitely um, want to encourage everyone to even if you go to YouTube, you can see um, 
you know, you can see episodes of The French Chef because it ran yeah. for 10 seasons. Uh, she, it ran for 10 seasons and she was always the host. And back when, you know, it was black and white TV to back in the 80s when it was, you know, to TV with, you know, color uh, or color TV. But um, it's I was watching some of the episodes the other day and she was very like poised. She was very like. I don't know. She had a way of like presenting herself and she will describe everything. Like not only she will cook everything, but she will make laugh of it. Like she was so bubbly. She had this personality that she will like, she had no bullshit. She will literally say what she believed. And in the interview, she was saying, Oh, I hate it when she started, when I started this because everybody was so afraid of cooking with cream, cooking with butter, cooking with oils. She hated diet. (laughs) She hated diet. So she was like, no, I hate diet food. I just want to cook what's good, what's rich, and what's what should be. So needless to say, butter, cream, oils. Yeah, and deliciousness. <laughs> deliciousness, exactly. So um, that that she also have made, that's, I want to uh, recall back what I said about Saturday Night Live, those sketches, because apparently, and I didn't see any of those episodes, but there's some episodes out there that she will cook and she will um, messed up some things. Like she, she, she will show there's no perfection. She will show that, for instance, if she's cooking like a tartette or something like, a, or a potato cake was one of them. And she will try to flip it over, and instead of flipping it back to the pan, it will flip. It will go to the hot tub or something. But she couldn't care. She was like, no. I first of all, and like I said, back in the interview, she will say, well, you cannot rerun it back because back in the day it was very costly. It was very True, costly actually. to. Like it, it, we will lose so much money if you because this this was the first time they were doing this type like cooking shows, so it was so expensive to oh shoot I made a mistake let's do it back again, so yeah. she couldn't afford to do that, so um she uh she will just go it as you know do it as as it goes, but I like that because it makes it look human. Like if you recall now cooking, uh, maybe like if you think about, I don't know, Gordon Ramsay, because I love watching him cook, regardless of what you think about the man, he knows how to cook, Mm. but, uh, it's, everything is perfect. Obviously it's highly edited, but you see that everything is so precise. Even when you see the masterclass, uh, commercials about how to cook, everything's so precise, everything's so aesthetic to your liking. But when you see this show, this was basically the forerunner of every cooking show you see now. She was the first celebrity chef and she did it so naturally, so organically. And I really praise that about her because it's, uh, she said it's not about perfection. It's about what you digest because she really believed that once you digest the food, it becomes part of you. And that's just such a Aww. romantic story. <laughs> it's, um, she was definitely an incredible lady. Um, she actually passed away in 2004, 2004 when she was two days uh, short to turning 92. So, yeah, but she definitely... A good long life. A good long life, an accomplished career. Uh, So not only, like I said, not only she was part of... uh, She started in World War II. She uh, started Le Cordon Bleu. Then she had her cooking school. She had this amazing Mastering the Art of French cooking book. Well, two volumes. Then she had the French chef. She was uh, part of a lot of radio shows, a lot of um, other radio well no sorry tv shows where she will share her recipes uh she was everywhere and to this day actually if you go to the le cordon blue website she has her own there is the own julia child scholarship 
So there's a scholarship name on, on, on for after her. And also there is the Ju Julia Child organization where they give grants, where they, they have podcasts, they have awards. Um, and just, uh, just what a legacy. Yeah, she definitely had a legacy of her own. And actually, because of what happened right now to because of COVID-19, what the um, what the Julia Child Foundation did is that they donated five thousand dollars to World Center Kitchen for to assist and you know help people in need at this time. So it's just it's just really um, incredible. Feeding. Yeah, um, I just want to just finish this um, this amazing facts about this amazing woman uh, with this uh, in her memoir, My Life in France. Julia recalls the most the most exciting meal of her life at La Couronne. Sorry for my French. At La Couronne on her first day in France, 1948. In all the years since that succulent meal, I have yet to lose the feelings of wonder and excitement that I inspire that I that it inspired in me. I can still almost taste it. And thinking back on it now reminds me that the pleasures of the table and of life are infinite. To yours, bon appetit. Ah, Priscilla. Isn't she is wasn't she amazing? Yeah. And food is the pleasure of life. Definitely. Like who is not happy eating food? Yeah. Like, well, honestly. Who's not happy eating your food? Priscilla is a Mexican you I know, love chef cooking. yourself, like and you know, definitely bring pleasures in life. I like calling out to your house. I am immediately presented with many delicious things. Remember the first time we met, I made for you guys margaritas and uh, Mexican quesadillas with guacamole. Oh, stop. I'd, I'd kill for one now. Although I am enjoying my drink. Oh, yeah. Priscilla, she sounds lovely. Isn't she? Uh, I definitely want to uh, invite everyone to see her early episodes, even if you don't want to see everything. Uh, it's just, she's very bubbly. She has a way of talking and it's just, and it's no scripted. Like yeah. what she's saying comes from her heart, from, from what she knows. And it's just like no bullshit. It's just perfect. And I definitely want to encourage everyone to go to the website, see what the her organization is doing for the world, for doing for the culinary industry. Uh, Le Cordon Bleu, like I said, has her section in there. And I've, definitely in this footnote for the episode, I'm going to put all the links where I found all the information. Definitely encourage everyone to listen to that uh, interview. It's a 10 minute long interview, but it's so worth it just to listen to her talk. So, so worth it. That sounds and lovely. That I just like I feel like like I'm shit at cooking, so I like like I I enjoy it in the sense that I love eating and I like yeah. throwing things in, but I wouldn't be a huge chef. I wouldn't be very good at it. I like I'm not one of those you know COVID nineteen pandemic who are sitting down and making these feasts or baking, <laughs> which I've seen on your Insta, Priscilla. I know celebrating over them, <laughs> but no, I'm not. I'm not that person. But I get very like please for those who are and I'm definitely a voyeur so I love looking at photos <laughs> so like I will definitely check her out and just sit there watching on a Sunday morning and watch her cook a show definitely you have to yep well cheers to her cheers to Julia <laughs> Child <laughs> literally we're uh, enjoying the drink at the moment as we speak um, but Trey, what do you say we go to a quick break and we start with your woman? Of course, let's go. Let's go bake something. <laughs> so we will be back in a second. Bye. Bye.
We're back from baking a feast. And I am 12 cocktails in. And I'm about to reveal all my deepest, darkest secrets. Um, So, yeah, hello. (laughs) Welcome back. Um, So, I didn't... I'm still drinking the first uh, cocktail, which is very refreshing and delicious. Yeah, me too. I'm taking it slow, so I'm good. I'm also, like, I was frantically Googling shark repellent spray on my break, so... She didn't believe me, guys. She didn't believe me there was actually, in fact, a shark repellent. She was still thinking about... uh, Batman in the 70s. I, do, I, do, I just, yeah, that's blown my mind. And that is my new fact I'm going to tell everybody. And might even become a trivia quiz question. Um, should, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like that, yeah. People, well, people won't know that, so I guess. Anyway, anyway so we're back and I'm going to talk about my woman. So I'm there's so some, ready. <laughs> there's some similarities, but definitely a lot of differences as we found um, when we do these episodes because they're such yeah. random women that we don't know who the other person's got to bring. So mm. sometimes I like to find a link, you know, between, you know, even a theme or something. So the first thing I'm going to do is read out a quote. And um, so the quote is, do you have a vagina and do you want to be in charge of it? If you said yes to both, then congratulations, you're a feminist. Yay! Yay! Yes to all. Yeah, so the woman I want to talk about today is Kathleen Moran. And um, she's a journalist and she's written books and stuff. But um, she is probably, like, she's absolutely fucking hilarious. Like, she is just mad and talks about absolutely everything. Um, And also one of her books was one of my kind of, like, gateway to feminism books, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. Like, just one of those really, like, fun reads. (laughs) And then you suddenly realise, like, oh, wait, that is me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so she wrote this book um, called How to Be a Woman. Um, and she wrote it in about five months. So, you know, go her. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I'll be five months into a pandemic and will not have written that novel. No. Um, so, but within a year, it sold like over 400,000 copies. And it just kind of tells her own stories of her own struggles of being a woman. And, oh and like she wanted she and like it's hilarious like it's absolutely mad and she wrote it because she wanted women to realize that being a feminist just means being an advocate for you know true equality mm. but when she wrote this book there was kind of a resurgence of feminism then because it was really accessible it was very funny it was really open um it was a bit soft you know like basically like um you know, a lot of stuff that came before that was like feminism, like was this whole like, let's take off our bras and burn them. We hate men, academic books. And, you know, so like at this Mm. point in time, feminism had kind of like, so she wrote this in 2011. So at this point in time, like, you know, they don't like feminism had almost been like relegated to like, you know, academic books in the library, the ideologies of feminism. And it had become like, you know, the narrative that was out there was incorrect. And it was all about, you know, man hating, um, you know, stuff. So it's like she wrote yes. this book and she was writing about, you know, just about like uh, women's relationships with themselves and women's relationships with men. And like, like in it, like she talks about her vagina, like about how, you know, people, you know, won't say vagina, like just all these slangs and names oh, for God, vagina, yeah. women's body parts, you know, breasts, yes. you know, like it's just a weird thing to say. And uh, she, it's like, it's kind of like her confessional, like it's very funny. She does talk, it's very candid. Um, she talks about, I like that. Um, yeah, she talks about abortion, eating disorders. She talks a lot about masturbation. I'm just gonna tell you now, she's uh, she loves talking about masturbation. Bring so it all in. And body issues and stuff like that. Yeah. So there was a big appeal for people around then, like, oh, she's just like us. So this how to be a woman is such a good gateway book 
for kind of women this generation you know or young girls mm. at the time and and young women yeah and, uh, because it's very funny very searing very yeah uh, she's very yeah. intelligent and um she kind of just brought feminism to a whole new generation of young women and girls but in a very very funny way you know yeah. and uh, so very yeah very entertaining very clever very funny a lot of people at the time were talking about how important it was as a book and um you know uh because you know the way like a lot of people go feminism Jermaine Greer female eunuch you know that kind of thing and um she was like you know um you know this is like you know female eunuch only I talk about my knickers you know so like (laughs) it's not as like a lot of like other feminists have come out as very soft or very lovable like it is an important book but it's very like soft and easy and lovable you know and also she has like other people have also come forward and said look you know she is she is bringing feminism forward a lot and like putting it in people's minds but also at the same time remember that it's it's very it's not very intersectional because you know she's uh, she's English and she's white and she's you know and uh, there's certain obviously like um, things that she probably can't speak to and experiences she can't speak to so yeah. like when she when she heard that now she'd be quite um, trying to think of a word that isn't like a very uh, like you know sassy or feisty you know like like, like those descriptions but yeah. yeah. Like, spoken and uh, so when people were saying that about her book she was like look I wrote how to be a woman not how to be all women uh, I never True. presumed for three billion people out there yeah. three billion she, women she's talking about her story and her experience like yeah. she she talks of what she knows like exactly. she cannot talk about who you are who what you know no like that being said like it is it was very easy like it is very you know funny and like like because see, see she speaks about everything with humor and that, like that's how she sees how we should approach um like these kind of things is through humor and uh like so even though some people felt it was a bit narrow she's like you know like she just feels anger and confrontation probably don't help as much with social movements so that's her ideology around it and her kind of what she feels but uh so yeah so she's an English journalist author and broadcaster she writes three columns a week she's um for the times and uh she grew up in a council house in Wolverhampton and she had loads of brothers and sisters I think she had about eight and wow. uh, I don't like I'm pretty sure she didn't go to school like she said she did a bit of homeschooling or haphazard schooling so uh she was kind of at home a bit of homeschooling a bit of self-taught kind of thing but she wrote the book how to build a girl in 2014 and it's one of my favorite books of all time and um like uh, it's one of those books I'll go back and read all the time you know and uh the reason it's it's even in my mind or she's in my mind I well first of all I follow her all her social media because she's fucking hilarious so Mm. when I'm like her twitter feed is unbelievable like just the best and um but how to build a girl um they're actually releasing that as a film this year so um really yeah, I'm raging because I thought it was now, but it's May in the United States being released. And then it was, I think it's not till like later this year that's being released in Ireland. So I couldn't, like I was trying to get it, um, get access to it. Because obviously at this point in time yeah. with the pandemic and everything, they're releasing things, theatrical releases are now just kind of online. Video releases. on demand, yeah. yeah. So I was trying to find it. So I'm, I am going to look harder and keep an eye out for it. So because uh, Beanie Failstein is in it, you know her? She I didn't pronounce her name correctly, but she was in Booksmart. And um, uh, you know her, if you, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell you about her later. Yeah. And if you Google her, 
Twitter, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's a few kind of people you know in it. So I'm very, um, very excited to uh, to yeah. see it. But um, so the book itself is like a semi autobiographical book, and it's kind of set in the 1990s. And um, and she wrote, she co-wrote the screenplay for the film, so I feel like it'd be very close to the original, which mm. is usually what you'd see. But uh, yeah, so it's very very funny, and again, a lot of masturbation. <laughs> but. <laughs> She, it's like this young girl growing up in a council estate, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, like her father's getting benefits, but they're also breeding border collies and, you know, uh, you, all this kind of like just what it's like to grow up with a ton of brothers and sisters in a small house and, you know, um, feeling feeling like you don't have enough money to get by all the time. And, you know, and then she ends up writing for this music magazine and, um she writes articles for them when she's 16, 17, which is kind of how Kathleen Moran kind of herself got got on the ladder, got on the mm-hmm. got out there um, with her writing. So um, and one of the things that I always send absolutely everybody is um, she has she wrote this article for Esquire magazine. So, you know, the men's magazine, Esquire. Yes. And uh, you shared that to me. I remember. I did. Yes, I did. it was fantastic. Yeah, so she um, she wrote that in 2016 and uh, it's called um, 12 Things About Being a Woman That Women Won't Tell You. And she, so it's a men's magazine, obviously. And uh, so she wrote this article, which um, um, like it's it's just so funny. Like, it's just like, she's like, I'm not going to woman-splain feminism to you. It's the 21st century mm-hmm. and you are most assuredly not a dick. You like women being equal to men, which is all that feminism means. Not all the penises being burned in a penis bonfire. Just <laughs> women being equal to men. So uh, you get feminism. You don't need Tits McGee here to take you through it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you 12 things about women that women won't tell you. Uh, and she said, because I'm a chronic overshare and capable of keeping secrets. So uh, the first is she was, uh, she was, the first one is no mumbling. And it says, like you, we feel a bit embarrassed about saying the word feminism. It's the same as when you say the word environment. They both have that slight implication of I'm now going to launch into a speech that's basically about how great a person I am. Unfortunately, in both cases, the entire future of the world does rest on people being able to say those words properly and not mumbling firmament or environment. I'd <laughs> so, uh, like so she talks about how Michael Fassbender and Pina Colada are actually much weirder sounding things. Um, <laughs> She talks about the man and she's like, so when women talk about the man, we're not talking about you. You're just a man. You're not the man. Mm-hmm. So similarly, when we talk about the patriarchy, that's not you either. You're not the patriarchy. You're just Patrick. Uh, we're ge- identifying the general locus of the problem, i.e. most of the power and influence being held by a small amount of men. Um, and then she's so like, there's a lot of like longer pieces around these, but there's one or two bits that I um that I just thought were really funny like the man I like there's this one she talks about abortion um uh, talking right so there's this one and she's so true she's like in the last year or so we saw this study from America and it broke our hearts a bit because it explained so much in a mixed gender group when when women talk 25 percent of the time or less it's seen as being equally balanced and if women talk 25 to 50 percent of the time they're seen as domineering the conversation dominating the conversation so um yeah so like like i was like that's so true isn't it mm. and um and then just like one final piece from it is just like tired we're tired so so tired from the moment we grew our tits we've been catcalled in the street commented on by relatives 
uh, oh, she's big bound, oh, you're a heartbreaker, as if we weren't standing there in front of them hearing all this. We've seen our biggest female role models and icons shamed in the press over and over. Computers hacked and nude pictures released, sex tapes released. So we know even success and money will not protect us from the humiliation of simply being a woman. We know we must have our babies when we're young. The eggs are running out, but we mm. must also work for less money. So that makes us tired. So, you know, just about when we're tired. Oh, and then she talks about wanking. <laughs> so, um, of course. Yeah, so she is uh, um, talking. I'm going to be honest with you. For the first five years of my adult life, most of my decisions were made by the contents of my pants. My vagina was, by way of orgy too, and Little Shop of Horrors, constantly shouting, constantly shouting, feed me, and breaking into musical numbers when I was trying to listen to my brain instead. If I'd not discovered masturbation, I would have spent the majority of my time sitting on shed roofs like a cat on heat, yelling at the moon. So if a young woman is to go mad, then masturbation is a needful hobby, as vital as going on long country walks to get a bit of air in your lungs and pursuing the revolution. So uh, like that article is really good. I always share it like with the lads, with the girls, with like with everybody. Um, I just think uh, she's a very accessible person. Um, and, you know, she wants to talk about male feminists and, you know, um, She's very passionate about social justice and feminism and, you know, um, like, you know, about not being fanatical or, you know, yeah. uh, so she's got this prolific writing career. She's very, very yeah. famous. And she has um, all these books, more anthology, more on a festo. And there's one coming out soon called More Than a Woman. Um, and she's kind of talking about her experience, like marriage and children and stuff like that, because she's just that little bit older than us. And she has two teenage female, like uh, teenage girls girls and I think she talks about you know how to, how to teach them you know and yes. um and, and like just little things like uh she always comes out and defends people who you know like the likes of uh Lena Dunham who you know where she's always talking about like we have to hate the system not the people in it so if some people get ahead somehow past everything put in their way by the patriarchy we shouldn't be trying to take them down we should be trying to take the patriarchy down so she you know hate hate the system so don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, so like hers is a, a different, like it's a different viewpoint on like, so she kind of comes in fourth wave feminism. We've had first, second, third, fourth, and she's calling out for a fifth wave and, you know, um, and yeah. so I guess, yeah. So she was a gateway person for me because she's so, like, you know yourself, Priscilla, Irish people, it's deprecating, it's humor, it's, you yes. know, light of very serious things. And so for me, it was a very accessible thing. But I do remember, and I like I'm just going to uh, talk about like a shout out to my friends uh, Kieran Halliday today because um, the other day I was just thinking about how like the first time I realised I was a feminist and it was like very late in my life <laughs> like compared to like when it should have been. So yeah. I was in the middle of my masters and so you know pretty educated at this point and you know uh, somebody said something about uh, being a feminist and I said oh well I, I I guess I'm not really one in my head thinking you know oh yes. you need to go and and go to poetry readings and you know you need to and be, hate men or yeah uh, go, oh. go and chanting and take off your bras and you know or, it, yeah yeah and it's not even so much that I genuinely just did believe that feminism wasn't like an ideology that you would have to profess to follow and that you would have to know all the writings and you know all the feminists who came before you and you know I, like I just didn't know much about it so I and then um, my friend was like oh my god I told my mom that you and Helen that today were definitely feminists and I was like wait what and then I was like <laughs> 
because <laughs> wait a minute and then we kind of had the chat about what feminism yeah. actually is and it was like similar to the time that um how to be a woman had come out so um yeah, yeah all of this kind of came together and like you know I was like 24 at that point so yeah. like pretty old to like no I'd lived my life that way yeah. but I like just hadn't realized so that realization moment so and I know a lot of like other people have their own stories of like when they suddenly oh, realize yeah and like what about you were you just no, like uh, no, a little was... mini Mexican <laughs> feminist running around uh, I'm going to be 100% honest. Actually, mine uh, upbringing to feminism was very late in life as well. But the stupid thing or the most ignorant thing, and the, the word here is ignorant because it's when you don't know and when yeah. you don't read or talk to someone who feels the same or who has the knowledge to share it to you. You just think and you just assume from what you see, what either the media, what either men or other women tells you what feminism is. Yeah. So back when I was a lot younger, like in my teens or even in my early 20s I will think well I'm not feminist because I'm not angry at men like I'm not feminist because all I want is to be equal but mm -hmm. then now that you you know when you read and now that maybe in five five years like five years ago it's when I started to see no I'm a feminist then. now that you say that way no I'm actually a feminist because feminism is not about hating men it's not about you know you, like you just said it yourself like burning your bra and going to poetries and going to march like it's about believing that you're equal to men not hating the the player hating the game like in this case i'm not hating like i'm not hating my partner i'm not ha hating other men i hate the patriarchy i hate what they mm -hmm. are doing to younger boys where they're still doing to men and that could be uh, actually maybe mothers in their in their households because that's what they believe so mm -hmm. i i shouldn't hate people because of that you should actually be someone who can communicate your knowledge and you to you say to people look it's we are not looking to be upper like up a level than you we're we're just looking for equality we're just looking that being the same and that's it like yeah. and it's um i just want to actually tell you about have you seen uh the um just briefly have you seen the netflix movie of taylor swift i think it's called miss americana i haven't seen it but it's, my friend who i was talking about before be surprised it's really good it. it's really good and i i i love taylor swift anyway but Anyway, the thing that she said in, in, in the movie, and actually it's in the trailer, she opens herself and says, I want to break down the, the misogyny that is still in my brain. Like she says, mm -hmm. I want to get rid of that. And she is being open as, about us. It's not that I'm misogynist. It's the fact that I was, up, you know, media or my family or whoever, they brought up that into me. That's yeah. in my brain, that's here in my brain. And you just want to break that through. You just want to open yourself to what it, it's all about. It's all about equality. So that's why I wanted to say that I, I do believe, I, I want to believe I'm a feminist because it's not about, like I said, it's not about. Um, it's not just about, it's like exactly. there's a variety exactly. of ways out there. And, you know, it, like, and it changes all the time. And obviously, you know, uh, for some of the first wave were suffragettes and now look at us now, you know, uh, like what we're what we're fighting for and equal pay. And, you know, we're yeah. still fighting for stuff like that. But at the same time, it's it's just as toxic to men as it is to women. Absolutely. And if more men were feminists out yeah. there, their lives would change for the better as well. Exactly. Um, 
some of the some of the people uh, I was chatting to were just saying that um, their gateway feminist book, like mm-hmm. realizing that they were feminists, was uh, Emily Pine's Note to Self. Um, mm-hmm. Note oh, to Self. Oh, okay. She's just read, telling me the book at the moment. Yeah. So I've read some pieces from it over the years, but I I hadn't read um over the last while but I hadn't read the full book so I ordered it and it's been delivered now so I'm very excited to read it and actually get stuck in you know when you've read some pieces you know so I'm really looking forward to to getting stuck into that so that's my my book recommendation from this podcast (laughs) and also to keep an eye out for um Kathleen Moran's book More Than a Woman which is coming out later this year but also I would recommend how to build a girl and how to be famous are like um are uh, very funny just you know good stories good good yeah. books to read um how to be a woman is her um her first feminist manifesto um and very very funny and also just the idea of like you suddenly read and you suddenly realize oh wait female agency and it you know it's not very explicitly written there but it's it's there and it's it just makes you stop and think and she's very very funny and I just really like her I really love her I still follow all her social media I think she's absolutely gas and um she just talks about things that probably wouldn't have been talked about before so and uh, she's a very accessible person and uh has has a few bits and pieces out there that were well worth having a look at or reading or watching so yeah, I like her. Kathleen oh Warren. my god, that is fantastic. Trey, you brought us like an entire library of feminist narrative in here. Like <laughs> no, it's not, but because uh, there's definitely a lot more. But oh yeah, I was, but I mean, did you like, definitely it, bring bring it. Yeah, though. I think I think it's more just uh, you know, it, one thing leads to another. What do you think? Because like I was like, oh, that movie should be coming out. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books, mm. and I always recommend it to people. And it always it just makes me laugh so much. I had uh, I like you know it speaks to your heart because the girl in it in question like she's speaking to all like Virginia Woolf and Sylvia Plath in her head and everything. Yes. It, wants to get out of there wants to get out of their council estate and you know um you know wants to figure out how she can get out of there and how she can make a life for herself and you know she's very melodramatic which i love speaks to me so uh yeah so recommend the film recommend the book and uh recommend Kathy warren because i just think she's absolutely fucking gas absolutely and go on and masturbate and yeah yes. exactly yeah, that is very. I like that. I like the fact that it's about breaking taboos as well. Like I, she just said it, and you just said it, like what what she wrote about that. Like, don't be afraid. Like, yeah, you're a woman. You're a f- like full flesh woman with breasts, with vagina, with needs, with you know, you need that sexual empowerment. So I'm all for it. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. There's there's one or two pieces in the book though where she explains where you know, she was trying to masturbate, had nothing at hand, and then she explained what she used. So, um, yeah, good luck with that. I think but, I'd uh, rather yowl at the moon like a cat. Yeah, she yeah, said that, so, and I yeah. love cats, so I might not do that as well. <laughs> um, During uh, times, one month, yeah. two, because. Yeah, you do you. Uh, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually, Trey, I remember you were trying to find something to link the two uh, women together. I have one. They are both really uh, acclaimed authors. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, like say um, what I really like about it is that a lot of Kathleen Moran's books are compilations of her columns in in, um, that she's had in the time. 
or a few different so um like uh so yeah like her books her morontology and one or two of her own ones are collections of her columns which you know um julia's books can be a collection of her recipes so yeah that's that's true that we found two linkages great <laughs> no i i am so glad i i'm really really pumped i'm so happy we did this uh this episode this way and i think i I have no words to say other than we are definitely going to share all our footnotes, share, um, yeah. Trey is going to share hers, I'm going to share mine, and we all welcome you to, like, well, in the case of Trey, follow this lady, see her work, and see how she is on social media, their books. In my case, I'm going to show all the links where you can listen to the interviews, where you can see even the CIA documents where you can see all about the Julia Child Foundation and if you have any questions you can email us at fantasticwomenpodcast at gmail.com and if you have any fantastic woman you would like us to talk about uh, you can email us in there or if you have any questions we will be more than happy to answer or just ignore your email in case we don't know the answers no just kidding we wouldn't ignore you but we'll find out out. yeah we'll We'll find out for you yeah we will do that. And other than that, I think I am good to go. Trey, have anything else to say or to plug? No, I'm good with that. And also just so today our women were from the USA. Is that USA. right? Yes. And England. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, I'm happy with that. And good to chat to you, Priscilla, about yeah. these fantastic women. And I look forward to our next episode. Oh, my God. Next- I am looking forward for your cocktail for next uh, next week. So, yeah. Really looking Pressure forward to it. On me, yeah, Ooh, yeah. It's on Trey. It's, Trey is going to be on cocktail duty next episode. So keep um, following us, keep listening to us, and you are good to go. See you in the next time. See you next episode. Bye. Bye.